Hey, this is Pastor Sean Beatty from Clovis Hills Community Church. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. If you want more information about the church, go to www.clovishills.com or you can download our app in your iTunes or Google Play Store. Enjoy the podcast. How we doing? All right, that's what I thought. Some of you are like, I'm doing fine. Where's Sean? So here's the deal, I, uh, as uh, Pastor Dave Love, I, Pastor Dave Love, how can you not be happy to be here when Pastor Dave Love is hosting? Anyhow, um, I'm on staff for uh, two weeks. I'm at a lead team meeting. That may mean nothing to you. That's like the big boy table where the important church leaders gather around. We decide the direction of the church, and I've been invited to that table, so I feel really humbled as a new staff member. But here's the deal. We're uh, doing some calendar work, and up on the, uh, the wall is a marker calendar, and Pastor Sean looks at me and says, Mitch, I already have a preaching assignment for you. And I'm like, wow, that's how, how humbling, how honoring. I mean, I've only been here two weeks, and you're, you're already putting me on the platform. Now, here's the deal. Little did I know his motive and Pastor Uh, Scott's motive, because the bottom line is the only reason that I'm here on this platform this morning is because they're going to a Chargers game today. Yeah, I thought, wow, how humbly. It had absolutely nothing to do with me. He needed some pulpit fill. But it worked, yeah. I'm humbled and honored to be here. And uh, I just want to say this, that God has, I didn't know it, sometimes we don't know what's happening in our lives until we get to a point we can look backwards, right? Hindsight is twenty twenty. And God has been stirring uh, something in me for a couple of years now, culminating in something that he, a, a deep work that Jesus did in me this summer through a sabbatical that I that God uh, graced me with, a three-month sabbatical where, where I, I got to find Jesus. I'm saying I got, to, I got to find Jesus in a fresh, new way. Jesus met me in the middle of a significant life transition in my own life. And I'll, I'll never be the same, ever. And I just want to say to you this morning, some of you need to hear this message. I need to hear it. That's why I keep preaching it to myself because, God, I don't ever want to forget what you did in my life this summer. And I've entitled the message, Finding Jesus in Transitions. If you have your outline, we're going to have a little framework for the message. It's going to be really story-driven. I want to take you to the story and the personality of Peter in the New Testament, and then I want to weave some of my own story into the message because I identify with Peter. Does anybody identify with Peter? I'm just saying, like, Peter is a man's man. He's a dude, man. And uh, Peter's kind of like many of us men. Like, it's, it's ready, fire, aim. You know what I'm saying? There were moments of brilliance and then moments of great despair. There were, there were great like moments of glory and then great failures. And that, that's kind of how God uh, chooses to work with dudes like me. But I want you to hear uh, really what was a, a turning point in, in Peter's life. It came toward the very end of, 
Jesus' earthly mission here on earth. He, he knew. He, the scripture says that he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. Like he was on a, he was on a one-way uh, street headed to Jerusalem because he knew he had to accomplish on earth what he couldn't accomplish from heaven, and that was to come to earth to die, to die for you and me, for our sins, to take upon himself the sins of all humankind. And so there's this beautiful narrative in the Gospels where we see uh, uh, really what I believe is a tender moment that Jesus has with Peter because, uh, because Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was coming for Peter. Peter didn't know what was coming for Peter. But Jesus knew what was coming, and he just wanted, G- he wanted Peter to know, Peter, uh, I'm with you. I've prayed for you. I want you to know that. So I, w- I want my friend Larry, Larry to come out and, and uh, read, if you would, as Sean, Pastor Sean always has us do, if you'd stand for the reading of the word out of respect for God's word. Let's, <clears throat> let's listen to this gospel reading. Reading today from Luke 22, verses 24 through 28 and 31 through 34. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people, and they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who's more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Any of you, as you listen to that, think what a, what a riveting, painful moment that had to be for Peter. Like, what was happening in Peter's mind as he heard Jesus say to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And I just want you to know, Simon, I've prayed for you. And what have I prayed? I prayed that when you fail, you're going to fail. That your faith would not fail. Like you're going to fail. There's going to be failure. You have no idea what's coming. You have no idea. But you're going to look back on this moment and you're going to know that I've prayed for you, that I've earnestly pleaded for you. I've gone to the Father for you. So that he would sustain your faith just enough to get you through this transition because I've got a new work for you to do. I could share um, a little personal backstory. As I shared earlier, here's the thing. 
we don't know sometimes that life transitions are happening until they've happened, amen? Like sometimes we just look back and go, what happened, man? That, like now I can see, I can start to put some of the pieces together. I had no idea in November of 2016. Here's what I knew. Here's what I knew. I knew that I felt very compromised in every way. At the time, I was leading a church called New Harvest Church, a church that my wife and I planted um, 17 years ago. And all I knew is I I felt compromised. I felt concerned about my physical health, my my emotional health, my spiritual health. I just knew that I'm I'm running on fumes right now, and this pace that I'm running is not sustainable. So hopefully I did what most intelligent men would do. I asked for help. You know, sometimes we have a hard time asking for help. And I can just tell you, I was so desperate at that point. I was so compromised that I asked four men, not one. I really need help. I asked four men to come join me in my office, four spiritual leaders of the church. And I said, look, I, you know, what you guys don't know is a lot of times you come to us as pastors for answers. You come to us for help. And I'm going to tell you that we need help too. Okay? I asked four men, look, I I don't have an answer. I don't have an answer. I'm just telling you that I'm compromised. I'm not going to lose my soul. I don't don't know what the future holds, but I'm trusting that God's going to meet me in this somehow, some way. And, And let me tell you something. What I got in that meeting was not incredible affirmation. Sometimes God will work in strange and mysterious ways. Can I hear an amen? amen. Sometimes he's, he doesn't need our permission to do things the way he's going to do things. I didn't realize at the time, I was coming. You ever gone to somebody for a little encouragement and then they don't give it to you? Like I didn't get what I, I didn't get now. I look back and think I didn't get what I was looking for. I got way better. I got Jesus. Because I came out of that, I I went home, I told my wife, Jamie, I said, babe, I I don't know what's happening right now, but I just know that we're we're in a season of transition and there's going to be changes looming. And I don't even know what that change is. I didn't know at the time. I didn't know that a year later I'd be meeting actually with your founding pastor, Steve Davidson, and your pastor, Sean Beatty. Uh, because we had engaged in a merger process, New Harvest Church and Via Church of Fresno. And I felt like God had orchestrated the whole thing. And uh, let me tell you something. I came to two men that I absolutely have uh, uh, enormous respect for and that I trust because they have demonstrated by what they have done in this leadership transition here at Clovis Hills. It's not theory. They have worked it out. They have, they have worked it out. You have two godly men, that, uh, a founding pastor and a succeeding pastor that have worked it out in a beautiful way. Do you, you guys understand how extraordinary this is? So I thought, man, I'm going to come to the experts. These guys have actually worked it out. And what I came, we spent a half a day. Pastor Steve and Pastor Sean gave us a half a day, me and Pastor Jordan Deepersloop. And I thought, wow, this, this is a clinic. This is a clinic of how things should be done. 
But you know, on the backside of that meeting, God, God had another plan. He had another plan. And the plan was, it was not going to look like this leadership transition. God had something else in mind. I didn't know it at the time. I, did, I didn't know when we officially completed the adoption merger January 7th of this year on New Harvest Church's 17th anniversary. We completed a merger and entrusted the entire work of 17 years of sweat and toil by hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people to the next generation. And I stayed on staff. And then, as I mentioned, I went on a sabbatical. And guess what? You get alone with God for any extended period of time, and stuff's going to happen. Let me tell you right now, you, you want to hear from Jesus, get alone with him. Don't get with other people. Get alone with him because if you will earnestly seek him, he is eager to be found for those who wholeheartedly pursue him. And Jesus met me in the midst of my sabbatical. It was beautiful. But first he had to wound me a little bit, had to throw, like Jacob had to throw my hip out of socket, you know. He had to do some work because guess what? I'm like Peter. I'm a no-tap-out guy, no surrender flag. I'll see it through to the end. I got this. Just like Peter, I got this. Man, I'll, I'll die with you. So I came back from my sabbatical and did what I told hundreds of men never do. I quit a job without having one. I am a brilliant guy. Because I knew the Lord, the Lord revealed to me, your, your assignment is done here. You've completed your assignment. It's done. It's finished. Let go. Let go. I have a new assignment for you. I had no idea. I had no idea. Have any of you... Uh, done any like career mapping, planning, you've kind of mapped some, some of your life. There's, there's a certain script that you have, things, things, ways in which you would like your life to unfold. Now, how many of you, that has actually worked out exactly as you planned? <laughs> That's what I thought. I had no idea. Do you, do you know that the God, here's the thing that amazes me. This may be the most important thing I say all morning. You know what Jesus revealed to me this summer that absolutely transformed my soul more than anything? Here's what he said to me. He said, Mitch, I just want you to know that I'm quite fond of you. I'm quite fond of you. Let me tell you something. You don't need anything more than that. See, here's the thing. I don't need this platform. Jesus knew I'd be on this platform this morning. But I don't need it anymore. I'm going to tell you, when you have the affirmation of Jesus, when you know in the deepest recesses of your soul, when the Savior of the world says, I'm fond of you, it's life-transforming. And what I want to show you this morning is I want to show you that this colossal failure, this colossal failure in Peter's life was a gift. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Well, here's why I say it. Because 
Look, Peter's personality is on display throughout the Gospels, right? If you, if you read your Bible, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see Peter showing up in lots of ways. And, and some of them are moments of brilliance and some of them are embarrassing. Like, that's just Peter. P- that's just Peter's personality. He's passionate. He's fiery. He wants to be in the middle of the action. Maybe just highlighting a few, you know, we know when the disciples went out in the boat, see a Tiberius, and they, they, they encountered a huge storm, a huge storm. They, were, they feared for their lives. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking. You remember this story in the Bible? Jesus comes walking to them. Who's the only dude who had the courage to say to Jesus, Jesus, if that's really you, let me come to you. Who is it? Peter. If you, if you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat, Right? Peter's a fiery, passionate dude. He's the only one with faith enough in the Lord to say, man, just call me to come to you, man. Just call me. Peter's the the one in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus comes into Caesarea Philippi and he says, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah the prophet, you know, they say all these things. And then he asks the, the, the most important question in the world, who do you say that I am? Who was it that gave the great confession of faith? It was Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the the promised one, the anointed one. It's Peter. What does Jesus say to him? What a blessing. What a blessing, Simon. But, But just know this. The Father has revealed this. You didn't come up with that answer on your own. There are certain things that need to be revealed from above. Peter's the guy that got invited by Jesus with James and John to go up uh, on a, a mountain. And they, had, they, they literally had a mountaintop moment. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where Jesus illuminated. He was there with Elijah and Moses. Man, it was, and what did Peter say? He's doing what he normally, uh, let me build three tabernacles for you. And like, the, the, the true message is, it's, it's a little bit like this voice came from heaven and said, shut up, Peter. Just enjoy the moment. This is a transformative moment. And you know what he said? Listen to him. Listen to my son. You know, in your Bibles, um, we see, if you'll turn with me to Matthew 26, because I don't want to leave you, I don't want to leave you with the text we read. I mean, we gotta, we gotta, we got to take this thing forward. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Like, like there's, a, there's something coming. And then, of course, Peter objects, objects. No, actually, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And we see it played out in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 69. Meanwhile, Peter was outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came over to him and said, You were one of those with Jesus, the Galilean, but Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you are talking about, he said. Remember, this is bold, brash Peter. I don't know what you're talking about. Later, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath, I don't even know the man, he said. 
a little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, you must be one of them. We can tell your, uh, by your Galilean accent. And Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And he, Peter, went away weeping bitterly. Weeping bitterly. Now, I just, let's just stop for a minute. Okay, let's just stop. I think it's a fair question. How do you recover from that? How, how are you going to recover from that kind of colossal failure? How are you going to save face? How are you going to come back from that? I mean, you knew. He, Jesus even told you, like, like there it is, it's going to happen. And yet all of his strength, all of Peter's, Peter, as I would say, all of Peter's 1.0 strength was not enough. Why? Because Jesus knew that he was taking Peter into a season of transition, and he was going to come out the other side, Peter 2.0. Do you hear me? He followed Jesus as Peter 1.0. He was going to come out the other side after the resurrection, Peter 2.0. My wife, Jamie, and I, we, we use this kind of language regarding our marriage because we're, uh, we, we say, uh, is that Mitch 1.0 or Mitch 2.0, right? Now, for those of you, like I've been married almost 35 years, I'm up to 4 or 5.0. We can't figure out which point oh it is. But the point being, it's a directional thing. It's a growth thing. Count it all joy, James writes, when you encounter various trials. Yeah, all kinds. I'd even included that various transitions. For it will develop perseverance in you, and perseverance is going to develop character in you. There's, there's work I want to do in the midst of that refining fire so that you can come out the other side different. And so if you look in your outlines, I, I just want to offer to you um, some thoughts from a, a classic book called Transitions by uh, William Bridges. He, wh what I appreciate, appreciate about this book is it's research-based. And here's the thing. He just gives framework. He gives a simple framework to what a lot of us experience in life, and that, it, that is Transitions. And you can take this framework and you can apply it to all sorts of circumstances and situations in our life. If you look over the landscape of your life, this is going to become, if you even think about it, it's going to become more and more familiar. But I've got some fill-ins and I, I want to get to those so I don't forget. I'm not, I'm not quite, quite as a little squirrel as Sean, Pastor Sean, but ne nevertheless, I want to make sure that those of you, that my, my wife, uh, she wants all the fill-ins. So I'm going to give you the fill-ins right now. Here's the simple three phases in transitions. The, the process of transitions 
that Bridges talks about. He, he, he describes it this way, ending, waiting, beginning. Ending, waiting, beginning. The language that I would apply to these is the key word for ending is death. Death, that's your feeling. The key word for waiting is disorientation. The key word for beginning is life. One of the, uh, I believe, the most important, like brilliant epiphanies that Pastor Sean shared with us in this last series, Take Off Your Grave Clothes, is simply this. In order for you to experience resurrection, there has to be a death. Death is necessary for resurrection. And here's what I want to say to some of you. Some of you are, could be going into a season of transition. Some of you are in a transition right now. And sometimes it's that first, it's that first phase that really catches us off guard. We're, we're just not ready. We're not ready to let go. We're not, we're not necessarily ready for something to end. Like you've got to let it go. You gotta let it end. Sometimes you you gotta let things die for new growth to occur. I mean, this this is going to sound really weird to you. One of the most uh, gut-wrenching moments for me in the whole uh, merger process was the fact that I I got a copy. I I was dumb enough to ask for a copy. I I got a copy from the Secretary uh, uh, of the State of California basically describing the merger process. And basically, in essence, it said, New Harvest Church is dissolved. The documentation said it's dissolved. Now, here's the thing. You're going to think, oh, it was a gift from the Lord. You know what he told me? He said, listen, Mitch, the 501c3 is dead, but the imperishable seed that was planted in the lives of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people lives on. Rejoice. Rejoice. He used an Old Testament scripture where David, when he had sinned against the Lord, against his wife, against a, he killed another man to take another man's wife. And you know the penalty of that sin, there's always a penalty to sin. The penalty of that sin is that she became pregnant and that child that was born died. And you know, that created a crisis moment for David. He was despairing for his own life. But then he got word. He got word. That Old Testament teaches us. He got word that the child had died, and his, those that were around him in the leadership realm were concerned about his, really, his well-being. They thought he, maybe he was going to be, he was suicidal. And you know what he did? He got up. He cleaned himself up. He went and worshiped the Lord, and he ate. And then they thought, you're a kook, man. Your child just died. How could you be rejoicing? He said, you know what? While the child was living, I thought perhaps the Lord will intervene. But the child is dead. He can't come back to me, but one day I'll go to be with him. Now here, listen to me. 
Some of you are stuck in phase one. There's something that God has been asking you to let go of. There's something, there's something, as Henry Cloud in his book, Necessary Endings, some endings are necessary. And sometimes we just don't know that they're necessary until we let them go, until we let something or someone die. And then, how many of you like to be, like, wander through life dazed and confused? Like, I don't like, I don't, I don't like this second phase, this waiting. I love, <laughs> anyhow, I don't like to wait. Am I alone? And I certainly don't like to be disoriented. But I'm going to tell you right now, God does some of his best work in us when we are dazed and confused and disoriented. Because guess what? At, at those times, we actually feel needy. We're a good student. We show up. And there's things that he wants to teach us in that dazed and confused state. There's things that, there's things actually that Peter could only learn because, because he betrayed Jesus. Because there, 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 there were literally those weeks of disorientation. It says in the God, I mean, they scattered. It was not good. It looked like the whole thing could have collapsed at that moment. That's what it looked like. But let me tell you something. I don't know where you are in your season of life. I don't know what stage you're in. I don't know what kind of disorientation is going on in your life. But I'm here to tell you that God does his best work. And his plans and purposes for your life will not be thwarted. There's a work that he is doing whether you recognize it or not. Seasons of transition are a gift. Seasons of disorientation, usually after the fact, sometimes we see are a gift. Because unless, unless we're willing to let go, unless we're willing to let something die, unless we're willing to kind of lean into that season of disorientation, if we don't embrace it, God's not going to do that new thing in us. He's waiting for us. Do you know that? That's how, that's how gracious our God is. He's, he's actually waiting for us. He'll wait for us. He'll, he'll leave us there. He'll let us stay. Like, like little kids. He'll let us stay. But he's wanting to do a new thing. I don't know what... Uh, this morning you need to let go of. I don't, I don't know what in your life. Maybe you grabbed hold of something. Maybe it's a relationship that's unhealthy and really not honoring before the Lord. Maybe, maybe it's your drug of choice. Um, true confession. <laughs> it's shameful even to admit this, but God did a beautiful new work in me. You know what? The, the Lord... The Lord showed me my drug of choice. You know what my drug of choice is? The church. 
he revealed to me that too much of my identity, identity, too much of who I am is wrapped up in my positional leadership as a clergyman in the church, as a pastor in the church. He wanted to know, like, do you, do you want me or do you want them? And then he showed me, when you get me, you're going to get all of them. But you've got to be willing to give up something that you've held on to. Misappropriated love, like, like giving allegiance and loyalty and devotion to something other than Jesus, someone other than Jesus. You know, I, here's the thing. I, I can share that with you because Jesus told me he's fond of me. And I'd like you to be fond of me, but I don't care. Like when you know, when you know that you know. I'm speaking from real life. This is not theory to me. I've lived this out. This is fresh manna. I'm telling you, God has done something new in me and brought me to a new place. And it's the same thing that he is eager to do in each one of our lives. If, we, if we'll come to a place of being willing to die, willing to find that, that, that season of discomfort and disorientation because it always is disorienting. Let me tell you something. The first day I came on staff here, I'm a PC user, and they handed me a Mac. I want to tell you I was dazed and confused and disoriented. <laughs> you know, I'm like, what is this? This is not going to be helpful. I don't know what it is for you. Here's the thing. Here's what I know about Peter. Read the rest of the story. Go to the latter part of the Gospels. Get into the early chapter of Acts. You know what you're going to find? You're going to find <laughs> that Peter 2.0 is a different dude. He stood up as the leader of that gathering of believers. He spoke into the moment. Day of Pentecost, who stood up and preached? Who's the one that said, man, you can beat me, you can put me in prison, but here's the thing, I cannot stop t t telling you about Jesus. I will not stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Isn't this the same guy that just in previous chapters had denied he even knew the man? Now he's saying, I don't care. I'm recklessly in love with this guy. I have recklessly devoted my life to him, and I'm going to tell you, you can do whatever you want to me, but we cannot stop talking about Jesus. And Jesus wants to meet you right now. He wants to do the same thing in your life. He took Peter, this commercial fisherman, and anointed him, and through the Holy Spirit, he actually penned two letters in the New Testament. He's even an author. He, he contributed to the, the Bible that we hold. And here's what I, I want to just offer to you first. For those of you that have put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let's rejoice that we 
that God has revealed to us the story of this man named Peter who wrote these words. Think about this. This is, this is later on, down the road a piece. He's looking back and he's, he's writing and he writes this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You hear that? That's the same Peter who at 1.0 was denying that he even knew Jesus to a little servant girl. And now he's saying, hold strong. Christ will hang on to you and help you to stand firm in the faith. For those of us that know Jesus, I'm just here to tell someone that needs to hear it. Look, God, God is a God of transitions. God does some of his best work in transitions. Whether you're going into one, whether you're in the middle of one, or coming out of one, I just want you to know that you can find Jesus in transition. Now, I know anytime the church gathers that we have guests. I was a guest this summer. I was a guest this summer. A number of times I came to visit the church not knowing that I was going to be on staff here. But I know there are guests. There are some of you that are here that have not yet, not yet trusted Christ. The operative word is yet. Listen to what this same man, Peter, wrote in his second letter. He said this, but you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really slow about his promise. We sang about his promises, right? He's not slow about his promises, some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. The Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Someone needs to get saved today. We've had people already get saved today. Someone needs to get saved today. You know it. God knows it. And he's doing a work stirring in your soul even now. Jesus is calling you to himself. He's actually inviting you to transition transition from death to, to life, to eternal life. I had someone last night give me a card. I, I'm just getting to know this man, and his wife has, is terminally ill with cancer, and he said, what, what happens, what happens if, if the end of your transition is death? His wife's a believer. said, Glory. Glory, that's, that's what the end. 
That's the end of this earthly life. I said, I remember when I watched my brother Mike take his last breath at 53 years old. And I knew in that moment, he is more alive than he's ever been. He's more alive than he's ever been. Like, like death's been defeated. We sing this all the time, don't we? He's conquered death, hell, and the grave. We don't need to fear death. Perfect love casts out fear. We don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid in transitions. And I'm telling someone this morning, you don't need to be afraid. When Jesus extends his hand to you, take it. He's eager. He's he's been waiting for you to come. We're going to celebrate with family and many of us be around a table. There's a banqueting table with the Lord that's waiting. It's got a spot for you. Scripture says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Man, all, all you got to do is call out to the Lord. If you bow your heads and close your eyes, I want us all to just take a moment to prayerfully reflect on the work that God has been doing in this service this morning.